Mark Boardman, what's Mr. all that Jeff. behind you? What's all that behind you? I think I see a provider cookbook. So we are, it is, man. We are in our podcast studio. And uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a collection of uh, things, some random, uh, some from various adventures we've gone on while podcasting or other content things. So yeah, I got, I don't know if you can see, I got those oars in the background. That was kind of eventful trip, uh, various, uh, you know, fully loaded mags in case you need those in case, you know, it gets a little bit, get a little, gets a little bit weird. Sometimes you need some gets fully little, loaded mags. Gets a little Western in Wisconsin. Exactly. Exactly. Gets what do you little, think of that cookbook? Dude, it's awesome. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you mean that? I know I do, man. You guys put together a heck of a cookbook. I'm trying to think, um, we got a couple of them floating around here and, and people, you know, they make something, they're like, Oh yeah, I made this out of the provider cookbook. I made that out of the provider cookbook. That was awesome. So yeah. Uh, it's a nice piece of work. You guys know how to cook. Trying. Did you get to eat any of our food when you were up in Wisconsin at Joel's house? Oh dude, it was off the charts. What do we have that night? I'm not, I, I'm not trying to act like I, but it's been, it's been since November and, mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of trips and a lot of meals since then. But, um, what was it? Do you remember off the top of your head? Man, I mean, like uh, a couple different goose things that were, you know, you threw them on the Traeger and they, I don't know, they had like some crazy, like, I felt like it was like you're eating, um, I don't know, man. It was like, almost like you're eating like sliced prime rib, but it was oh, like yeah, yeah. goose meat. It was, I don't I remember, remember which that. one it was. I just remember that I, uh, consumed uh, copious amounts of it, uh, before it was gone. So that I was, was a part, fun night when that plate disappeared, I was part of the problem, not part of the solution. So. Well, that's a good thing with wild game because a lot of times people are like, I don't want to eat Canada goose. And like we ate Canada goose almost every day on that. I think we were in Wisconsin like 12 or 13 days. We ate Canada goose every day. But Joel, he's a stud, ain't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was a fun night, man. Good people. Good. I mean, and, and, you know, we're waterfowling. And I mean, to me, those are like the consistent things, right? Good people, good company, good food, good camaraderie. Um, that's the beauty of it, you know? And that's what I love about Vortex is like they see it. They see, you know, when you talk to an optics company, a lot of people roll your their eyes at you like, well, that kind of goose hunting. First off, we use optics to scout. I got this unreal scouting deal that we did in Iowa on snow geese this year and just seen them coming from miles away from the south. And we're like, what if they stop here and boom, they just start conglomerating this spot. But we use binoculars and spotting scopes and range finders a lot. Not so much range finders unless we're working on our blinds and stuff like that or when we're out in the boat and trying to figure out how far we are from a certain. But I like to use my range finders to see how far the furthest decoy is from the shotgun and knowing that I'm not going to call the shot if they're, no, if they're anywhere out side of that but as far as scouting and, and being consistently successful optics are unbelievably needed in the waterfowl culture and 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 and, and space in this hunting part of what we do i know elk hunting and sheep hunting and deer hunting and antelope hunting yeah you spot them from the rim rock or from high up and you're glassing and you're looking for ears or the wiggle of a tail and you're looking for antlers poking above the sagebrush i get all that it's it's huge but it's also it's very important for waterfowlers to have that. But more importantly, what I want to say, Boardman, is that for, for Vortex to support the culture of, of waterfowl hunters is, is a big thing for me. That they get it. They, their employees hunt waterfowl. They live in a state of Wisconsin where waterfowl is plentiful, especially Canada goose, but a lot of good duck hunting. Mm -hmm. um, but you guys get the culture. You came out. You loved it. You're shotgunning. You guys, you and Sawyer, you guys love duck hunting and i think that that's a big reason why we get along so good is that it's not like you guys look at us like ah they're just another a, a duck hunter you know and i'm not i'm not going to say any names but there are some optic companies that that won't even talk to waterfowlers because they don't think it's part of their revenue stream and by no means is it ever going to be bigger than the big game revenue stream or even the bird the bird watchers revenue stream but waterfowl hunting to have optics a good optic a quality optic a dependable optic like vortex is and then to have that support of the culture it's unbelievable man well no man we i mean we appreciate the kind words and uh but i mean you're right and and you nailed it if you optics are a huge part of waterfowl i mean take the hunt that we that we went on together or you took me on, but however you want to frame that. Right. Um, up until the night before, we didn't even know where we we're going to go. Right. What, why? Because you guys were scouting 
you guys were finding where the birds were. You guys were putting, I don't even burning, no, no idea how much fuel you guys are burning, right? Trying to find these birds, trying to find the X, trying to get on the spot. And then not only you're finding the birds, what birds are there? What kind are they? What are they doing? I mean, you guys are able to tell a lot via that, like the hunt that we did lasted a few hours. The work on the front end was what made that hunt happen. And that was a heck of a lot more time than what we spent in the blind. And, and I, and it's so well said by you is that if you're, if you, you know, there's weekend warriors that just go out to the boat ramp and they put their boat in and they go out to the marsh and that's what they get. And, and I, and I give them so much, you know, so, so many kudos of doing that because you, you, you don't have, by the time they get off at work at five o'clock on a Friday, they don't have time to get out and scout to the local marsh because a lot of times in that time of the year, it's getting dark by that time. So you got to give it up to people that go out and they're just praying, you know, they're hoping on a prayer of like, Hey man, I, I hope the ducks cooperate today. But if you have the ability to go on a trip and your whole focus is waterfowl hunting, scouting is a hundred percent key. You know, like I don't know how many miles I hate to see how many miles I have on on Canada dirt roads, um, not to mention continental United States dirt roads, but just Canadian dirt roads in Manitoba and Ontario and Alberta and Saskatchewan using glasses and seeing birds from way out there and hauling butt to catch up to them, to follow them from their roost, to find out. And it might be to where you go up there and you get there and you're like, oh man, there's only 80 of them. And you got to go back to the drawing board. And then all of a sudden you get better at it of like you under, you start understanding the roadways. You start understanding the lay of the land. You understand who the farmers are, the networking of farmers, and then how, how to get permission, how to knock on doors. But if you don't have binoculars with you, it's amazing how many people think that they don't, that they see all the waterfowl that there is to see in a given day from their blind or from their windshield without binoculars. That's not the case. If you use binoculars, you see so much going on. And not to mention, if you're not hunting with a pair of binoculars, I think you're nuts. If you're prepared, right? If you get taken by surprise all the time, your success rate's going to go way down. You're not going to be covered up. Your dog's not going to be in. Somebody's going to be talking too loud. There's going to be something. So with what we do, with we're moving around with cameras all the time, and we got people, you know, doing interviews or talking or tips of the week or decoy placement or whatever, we got a guy on binoculars or a girl on binoculars saying, "Hey, they're off the roost. It's time to get. It's time to get ready to roll." And it gives us the, the ability to be prepared by the time they get to where we're hunting, which is what we call the X most of the time if you're scouting and you're able to get on that part where they want to be. Yeah, you know, and, and we're talking specifically here about, like, you know, helping you, um, helping you kill birds, bring more birds to bag, you know, put more birds in the freezer so you can go enjoy them at home like we did. But in my opinion, or at least I know for me and for a lot of people, optics are going to in, even just enhance your outdoor experience. I like looking at stuff. I love nature. I love being outside. I love checking stuff out. And optics give you the ability to do that from afar, particularly maybe you're in the deer stand where you're, you're a little bit more static, a little bit more stationary. Um, you don't get to necessarily walk over and check something out, right? But you can definitely do that with your binoculars. And man, I'm always looking at stuff. I, we, we maybe even talked about this on a previous podcast. I don't recall, but when I come off of a hunt, it's an odd feeling because I'll be like uh, in town and I'll go to like read a sign or something and I go and reach for my binoculars that like they're not there anymore because I'm just so used to using them all the time. <laughs> all the time. And I, and I, and I, I see that I, when we were on our waterfowl hunt, you had your binos on, you had your, you had your chest piece on, your, everything that you need to you know, keep them close, your harness and everything. Um, they don't get in the way of when you're shooting, uh, but it's, it's key to have binos and you guys make so many different you know models of binoculars that you can get a pair that will easily fit into your blind bag it will not take up room a lot of people are like well too bulky i don't want them in there i got my calls i got my snacks i got this i got well yeah you make several pairs that are not going to take up any room in anybody's blind bag and having them is going to enhance the experience and it's going to make you a consistently better waterfowl hunter i guarantee it. and you saw that on that hunt like had you had any experience in in cornfield duck hunting had you been on one before Man, you know, I've, I've hunted, uh, you know, ducks and geese and corn, you know, and cut corn um, back in my Nebraska days. I'd say mostly geese, and that was with buddies that were, like, hardcore into it. Um, ducks a couple times, but, like, the hunt that we experienced that day was by far, like, the best, you know, 
field duck hunt I've ever been a part of. I mean, that was that was definitely a, a, a special, special day for me, for sure. And I think what one of the things that I always talk about duck hunting compared to what, you know, big game hunting. I've been on a lot of big game hunts, and I, I think big game hunting is awesome, especially when you get to eat it. Um, but it's kind of like you're the hunter, and you're stalking the animal. And they don't know where you're at, and you're trying to get in a position to get a shot a, a clean and ethical shot to harvest that animal with no, you know, no cripple, no, just nothing with the word suffering in it at all. Right. I can't stand mm-hmm. to see an animal suffer in coyote hunting. You're calling and you're bringing an animal to you in duck hunting. It's different than that. So like when you're calling and your eyes are zoning and you're looking in your binos and you're looking in your rifle scope and you're looking for a coyote, then you kind of know, okay, downwind is this way. We got a sidewind or whatever we're doing. We got a vantage point here. We're kind of looking out. We kind of see where they might come up this trail system. They might bark, come over this place, this, this little hill right here. They're hunting you up, but they're hunting that call. Mm -hmm. Duck hunting is even different than that or goose hunting because you're sitting there with your buddies and you know you're there where they want to be. You know that they were there. The temperatures are right. The wind is right. The sun's going down. So the anticipation is like, are they going to show up? Are they going to do what they did yesterday? Are they going to read the script? And then all of a sudden, me and Mark, you, Mark and I are talking like, hey, man, that freaking episode of freaking da-da-da-da-da last night was unreal. Did you see all this going on? And then, boom, your dog looks up or you hear, and they're hunting you up. They're hunting you up in a different way to where, like, they might see the decoy spread, but they're coming to where they wanted to be. So where could binoculars be more important than to be in a, in a part of hunting, the hunting sector, to where you're setting up where they were the night before? In elk hunting, you don't really, I guess if you were on a water hole, which, whatever, kind of, or in antelope hunting, you're in a, in a ground blind. Turkey hunting, you're where in the vicinity of where they're at. But in duck hunting, you're like what we call the X. That word is not used in any other sector of hunting. Well, how do you find the X? You got to have good optics and you got to have dependable optics. And my point is, is that you're sitting there and you're just like talking nonstop. And then all of a sudden the hunt's on. Yep. There's no other really factor. In, there's a, no other sector in hunting. You can't talk like that in turkey hunting. You're not like, hey, Mark, what's going on? How's your, how's your wife doing? How's your family? Oh, be quiet. You're always quiet. You're always still. In yep. elk hunting, you're stealth. In deer hunting, you're stealth. You're, blo- you're glassing. You're doing your thing. Turkey hunting. I mean, not turkey hunting, but predator hunting. You're calling, but you got to make sure you're still because the vision of a coyote or a bobcat or a cougar, whatever you're calling, a bear, whatever, their, their, their eyesight is keen and then their smell is second to none, especially in the coyote world. You, think, you know what I'm saying? Like duck hunting and goose hunting is so much different because they're hunting you up before you ever even look up at the sky a lot of the times. And you got to have, you got to be to where they're at least have an opportunity to be on that given day. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only way that works and not the only way, but like a big way that it works out in your favor is you've done your homework and you've done that and you've put yourself in that exact spot and that doesn't come without hard work and it doesn't come without scouting and you know i mean like you mentioned there just the, the uh the social nature of of water fouling you know being being able to you know talk with your buddies and tell stories and and whatever and then just like almost like those intermissions between the action uh they're like equally important and impactful you know in that day of water fouling for sure like when you think about you know, some of your favorite parts of duck, at least for me, you know, and, I'm, and I would assume for a lot of folks, it's like, I, I don't really separate the shooting from the other parts of the hunt as like my favorite part. You know what I mean? hundred percent. And I think that's so key in that day that we shared is, um, the team building part of waterfowling. And I'm not saying that Turkey camp and deer camp aren't there. Um, I'm not saying that big game hunting and Turkey hunting and predator hunting don't test your inner wheel because they all do. You're going to fail way more than you succeed. You're going to fall down way, and you got to stand back up. The animals are not are not going to give up their lives for you. They're they're not out there wanting to die. Okay, there it's go. It's a it's something that you have to hone your skill set. And waterfowl hunting allows you to really develop a kinship with somebody in a way to me that I've never experienced on any other hunt. Okay. Like I've, I've experienced it somewhat on fishing boats, but still on fishing boats, you're paying more attention to the rod. You're paying more attention to the cast and the bait In Turkey hunting. Again, you can't talk. 
and mm-hmm. deer hunting, you can't talk. I mean, everybody's up in a tree stand on their iPhones now until they hear a branch break or a leaf or they hear a snort or a grunt or something. Big game hunting, you're not out there team building. You're out there testing your will 100%. All hunting does, some more than others. Climbing 14,000 feet to shoot a doll sheep or a stone sheep, you got to be in shape for that. It's a different kind of deal. But this part of the socializing, the socializing aspect of duck hunting and goose hunting in the blind is so key to where me and you were buds, but now we're a lot tighter just in one duck hunt. One. And and if we go on one more, we're going to become that much tighter. And I'm not yep. saying that that would not happen in the cabin at a deer camp, but I'm talking about actually during the hunt. Nothing brings you closer, in my opinion. And people say, well, the golf course does. No, it doesn't. It's too competitive. It's too, it's too frustrating because you suck at it and you can't get your short game right. Duck hunting brings us closer in the hunting sector, sector than anything I've ever seen. And that's why it's so, you know, it's so endearing to me. Yeah, I mean, you've got, and in my opinion, like all the variables in play to forge a meaningful bond with another person. You know, you've got uh, you've got shared passions, you've got uh, similar experiences, you get to share uh, your life stories, you get, uh, but you get to do those things. Like, you can, de- and I have done. Like, I also say, like, you know, sharing a hunting camp, you know, does a lot of those same things. Yeah. But that happens kind of before and after the hunt, which is still amazing, extremely still impactful, amazing. important time. But the cool thing about waterfowling is you can do that during the hunt too. Like I, it's like, it's like, uh, it's not, it's definitely hardcore in a different way. I mean, you're still putting uh, tons of effort, tons of scouting, tons of work, learning how to call learn your decoy spread, adjusting your decoy spread, which maybe we'll get into that. Cause watching you guys do that was just like really cool for me, you know, as not, not being like a, like a waterfowler, like at my hunting core per se, but um, you get to do those things during the hunt as well. Like in, in those intermission periods when the birds aren't, aren't working the decoys. And so, um, yeah, that's I a great point. That's a I great point that you just brought up. That's another awesome part of waterfowling is that, you don't you don't see that a lot in other aspects of like climbing out of your deer stand and running down and adjusting your decoy right or 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 any of that stuff so it's like that's a great point mark is that you're getting out there and able to you know we might miss a flock and you're taking that chance and that's one thing that our host up there luke how do you pronounce luke's last name i always mess it up is it steidel Luke Steidel. Okay, I always say Steedle because on his handle it says Steed, so I never know how you pronounce it. But Luke Steidel was our host up there. And one thing that I caught on to Luke was how keen he was in decoy placement, how anal he was. You use the word anal. Waterfowl hunters get so anal. And I liked what Luke did because he didn't wait. He didn't just be like one flock and then get all weirded out. He saw it a couple times, and he's like, look, we're breaking the hunt. We're, it's better to miss another flock and fix this situation than it is to sit here and turn our wheels and get schooled all day by these wild mallard ducks. And that's what I give Luke credit for. Is like He's like, get out of the blind. We're going to move this up onto this hill to give him more of a visual with the skyline aspect of these geese and these century walkers. We're going to put our feeders around here. We're going to put our ducks over here. We're going to move our spinners to this part of the field. And bam, what happens? Frickin', Sorry, I don't know, I don't know how many ducks we kill, but we kill like a seven man limit in like 20 minutes or I don't know how long they flew that day, but it, it was, a, it was fast. It, it was, I mean, it was, it was pure mayhem. I mean, it, it, it was awesome. But like you said, you know, those guys are going out to make that adjustment and that's, it was the right call, hundred percent, the right call. Cause it made those changes and all of a sudden birds that weren't landing in the hole were pushing right into the hole. But as he's deciding to do that, or you guys are deciding to do that, I'm like, are you sure? Because there are ducks in the air. It is happening right yep. now. But that's experience, you know, telling him like, okay, boom, we saw it once. Boom, we saw it twice. That's a trend. We're going to make the call. We're going to make these adjustments. And it just paid off so huge. Yeah, I think that that was the coolest part of of that hunt was it would not have happened unless Luke made that decision of, hey, I, I'm, I'm moving the decoys. I've seen it. I've done it. And nobody argued with him. Everybody was like, hey, do your thing. And lo and behold, the ducks start to finish right where you want them. And, you know, filming against hunting, it's a totally different 
ball game, you know, because there's a lot of times where those birds pass over you and you can take a shot and kill your birds and just a hunt. Me, I've become, I guess, spoiled a little bit because I've seen mallard ducks do it right so many times because of the people like Luke or the boots on the ground and all these unbelievable places we get to visit and journey to. Um, they have a setup. It's not a lot of it's not a lot of, of us being like, hey, we're so good at duck hunters. We can go to Wisconsin and get the mallards. No, if it wasn't for Luke and his crew on the ground, we're not killing mallards. I'm not ignorant to that, but it's it's cool to see it all come together from that anticipation that you're and hunting is so neat. Of like baseball games, you're kind of like you're driving to it. and You're like, all right, I'm gonna get in the batter's box. And I know I'm going to see some fastballs. I know I'm going to see some sliders. It's the same old song and dance, right? Like, it's it's the best sport on, on earth, in my opinion. And I know that there's arguments around that all the way. But as a player, you go to that field going, if you're a pitcher, you're like, all right, my arm's got to be loose. I'm going to get a little I'm gonna get a little stretching going on. I'm going to warm up. I'm going to throw my split finger, my two finger, my four finger, my cut, my bump, my change up. It's the same, same stuff that you did the week before. It's just that you might have a different approach that day because the batters are different with the scouting report, with scouting mm-hmm. going into that. In hunting, you and I are literally at your HQ all day. We're, we're seeing production. We're seeing distribution. We're seeing new products. We're eating together. We go, we, we go and we – the shooting facility, holy smokes, dude. I, I want to talk about that in a minute, but you guys have outdone yourselves on that place. But – then we're like, all right, let's get in the truck and let's stop and grab a snack. And then we're going to drive 50 minutes. And the whole time we're like, wonder what's going to happen. I wonder if they're going to come. I wonder if we're going to see any ducks. Are we going to decoy any ducks? Is the wind going to blow? Is the meteorologist got this forecast right? I love that part about duck hunting. The anticipation of going to the hunt or any hunting for that matter is like, an hour ago, we were talking about it, and now we have this many mallards laying in front of us to go and enjoy a bounty. Turkey hunting, is he, is he going to come in? Is he going to fan out? And you're like, an hour later, you're like, oh, my God, that worked out just like I visualized it. The visualization is so key. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that anticipation and that not knowing. And the fact that most of the time, it doesn't work out. You know, I mean, or oftentimes it doesn't work out. So when it does, but you know it can like, that's the thing. At least that's what keeps me going. Like, I know it can work out and sometimes it works out. Maybe you get, a, you know, maybe you get uh, a few ducks or you, you know, you, whatever you get a deer, you have an encounter with the deer, or whatever. But then when it really, really works out, and like you said, it's how you visualize it. You couldn't have drawn it up better. You made the right decisions at the right times and everything comes together. Um, it's just, God, it's just so sweet. And it's just so cool. It's yeah, it's the best. And it's just, I, I love the idea of, you got to go. You just got to go. And I, there's, there's days where we can't go, you know, we can't go in a, in a, in a real staunch rain, right? We're not going to go in a real, real low ceiling. That's real wet and moisture is on our cameras and all that stuff. And some people might with all of their gear, well, there's days that we can't go. But my point is, is that it's, it's a lot of those times to where it's like, I don't know if I'm going to go today. I'm a little tired and it's, it's not really duck weather or it's not really elky weather. And then your buddies get back and they're like, you should have been there. Like it was, it's those times it's, it's, you never know. You just can't, you can't sit there and try to outguess God, mother nature and wild animals. You cannot do it. They, they literally could just school you and be like, oh yeah, it's 74 degrees today. Oh yeah. The rut's not happening right now but I'm going to walk under your tree stand just because I feel like it. Okay. That you just never know what's going to happen in wild in, in mother nature in God's country. And that's what, that's why hunting is so special to me is that you can't predict it. If you say, go to an outfitter and be like, Hey, we going to get them today. Well, we got them yesterday or we got them last week. Um, they can't sit there and go, oh, yeah, we smoked them yesterday. They're going to do it again today. Nobody can do that. You can be hopeful. You can be optimistic, but you cannot predict you cannot predict that you're going to see a duck. As a baseball player, you can predict that you're going to see a ball thrown to you unless the, unless the weather comes in and the, the game's canceled. There's a lot of predictions in sports that you can guarantee. In hunting, I don't know if there's any guarantees except that you're going to be fulfilled whether you get them or not. I don't think that there's any guarantees with a wild animal. I just don't think there are. There aren't. I mean, you can be the best hunter, the most scouting, the most reps, days in the field, whatever, and – you still just don't have control over everything. You know, and it's funny. You talk about like, you know, you got, you got to be out there not shortly before you guys got to Wisconsin for that hunt, you know, was kind of the heart of our 
archery deer season here, you know, you know, that, that first part of November and I hunted seven days straight. And I mean, I got, uh, you know, hit seven different spots that I hadn't, you know, I'd been curious about, had pins drop. I want to go check these places out. Um, didn't hunt some places that I actually have hunted before that I had some, you know, pretty at least confidence in I'd had some success there before, but I'm like, man, I'm just, I got to see these new places. I've been wondering about them for so long, man. I got blanked on a bunch of days. I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple spots that I got to, you know, hiking in the dark and you're like, yeah, I thought this was a good spot doing my map scouting. And, uh, so did four other people, ladder stand, ladder stand, ladder stand, scent wick, you know, but you know, on the seventh day stars align, kill a pretty nice buck for me. And it's just like, Oh man, like it didn't happen every day. You know, but it, it finally did happen. And just like knowing like, man, if I just keep at it, you know, it can happen. And it did happen. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I was tired on day seven. Like I didn't necessarily feel like hunting day eight, but I would have. <laughs> and, and and you, you would have for sure. And that's the thing is that I, I remember Tiger Woods had a quote a long time ago about, I could have the worst round of my life and have one unbelievable chip shot on the 18th hole. And it brings me back the next day Yeah. when you're like sitting there disgusted with yourself and, and with the environment around you, like, what am I doing here? What am I wasting my time? My daughter says it to me. You took me I want to take her turkey. And she's like, dad, last time we went, we never saw one or heard one. I took her to Nevada. There's like three turkeys in the whole state. <laughs> I probably should have made my daughter's first turkey experience a little bit more, you know, thought out like I did her duck trip, but I thought for sure we were going to get them on this place. And, but it just takes one bugle at the end of the day. It might take one. You work with Remy Warren, that story about his elk in, oh my gosh. in was it New Mexico? I think so. Yeah. I mean, Oh my it, God, what a story. Like uh, uh, he's going to come on the podcast again pretty soon. And I was just like, he was like doing cutaways and like product demonstrations or something. Like they were all just standing there and they heard this bugle. And he's like, that's, this is for real. And it ended up being like a three ninety, a giant, you, giant bull. Like the big, the, as far as I know, like the biggest bull of his life in a unit, not like notorious for big bulls, like pretty much a regular run of the mill unit. And, and, like you said, and, and that happens and you just, you don't know if something like something like that, like there's always that possibility. And as far as Remy goes, man, he's one of my favorite people in the world. And, you know, he's hunted elk. He's probably one of the best elk hunters in the world. Right. And I just think, man, nobody deserves that bull more than him. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's just so cool that that happened. Yeah. He's one of my favorite. I love the dude to death and he's a, he's a stud. I mean, He's a no frills kind of dude that just gets it done. And, uh, and that's a perfect example of, you just never know. It's middle of the day. They're not supposed to be moving right now. They're supposed to be in shade somewhere in a wallow somewhere. And he just freaking nails one. I mean, that, I think, I think that that Tiger Wood quote of, it just takes that one little thing and you could easily give up so many times with the, with the success rate in hunting. What is success in hunting? Like, how do you define your own success? Is it a limit every time? Cause that's not going to happen. Is it a 180 every season in whitetail world or mule deer world? That's not going to happen. A 380 bull, 350 bull ain't going to happen every year. Um, so what is success? And it's about that journey. It's about what we experienced in that 24 hour period. If you think back on what we did, it was just a, it was just a onslaught of awesomeness that only happens because of the outdoors, everything at headquarters. We, we were, going over everything bino everything vortex and thinking about the outdoors we're looking through your spotting scopes out of your window out into those mountains and looking for animals even though you guys have probably done that every day our first time there we're all giddy we're like hey we're gonna spot something we're gonna spot something we're gonna get a moose we're gonna find i don't even know if, are there mooses are there meese in uh what's the uh, plural of moose I, moose right moose. i think just regular moose yeah moose are there moose in uh wisconsin you know we might have a few like in in the far northern reaches i know like you know our our neighbors to the west minnesota they've got a population that i think is actually on on decline unfortunately for uh for a few reasons but uh but yeah i mean we're we're in the heart you know we're based out of southern wisconsin so you know at least in the region that we're in which I think is a really cool region. It's called the Driftless region. So essentially the glaciers didn't flatten this portion out. So we've got all sorts of crazy bluff country and it's, it's a pretty neat country. Um, and it's, it's, it's whitetail and whitetail and Turkey land and, and some good water fouling as well. What animals have you seen looking out that window in your tenure at Vortex? 
Oh man. Um, I mean, just, let me guess: yeah. whitetail, Canada geese, coyote. Yep, and 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 handful of turkeys. Yeah, and turkeys. I mean, that's, that's the bulk of it. Um, I'm trying to think of anything. Have was... you ever got real, real dialed in on a scope and found like an owl or anything sitting in a tree? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You can. You'll, you there's 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 plenty of wildlife, and it's a it's a cool. We're we're fortunate to have like a an, an open backdrop to the front of the building, and so when people can or when people do come in. They can check out any optic they want, rifle scope, spotter, binocular, rangefinder, whatever, what have you. They can take it outside. They can look at it in those real world conditions, not, you know, under fluorescent lights or something like that. Um, potentially, you know, spot an actual game animal. Uh, but yeah, kind of get, get uh, a look and feel of it in those real world conditions. So it, it works out pretty handy. What is going on around HQ this time when we were there it's obviously it was deer season and that that blew my mind the amount of deer hunters i think they said six hundred thousand deer hunters out on opening rifle day is that number sound right or am i, I way off i mean i don't think you're way off i don't i don't know the exact number but i think it's right in that five six mark yeah is that not crazy i mean there's road signs construction signs that are saying get to deer camp safe i've never seen that in any state in my life oh yeah it's it's uh it's it's a cool it's a cool vibe, you know, that time of year. I mean, Wisconsin has a very, very strong deer hunting tradition, a very strong gun hunting tradition. Um, you know, it's at a time of the year that's, you know, right right before the holidays. So families are naturally getting together anyway. It's part of their holiday tradition to to be uh, gun hunting for deer. So um, it, it, it's pretty cool. I always say, I mean, you can, you can feel it coming. The weather's changing. You drive through the country, you look on clotheslines, there's blaze orange and camo on every clothesline in the country like and uh when that opening day bell rings uh i mean there's a there's a fair amount of shooting that's going on and it's uh it's pretty cool man it's it's a good uh it's a good uh good vibe for sure yeah out here you know you don't see a lot of orange and people are always like why would you ever wear orange well just go to wisconsin on opening opening day a rifle and you're gonna want orange on <laughs> and hopefully the other gunners are not colorblind because that like it's that's mayhem man i mean it's, the country's vast don't get me wrong but that's a lot of people in the woods oh yeah oh yeah i mean it, it gets filled up but i mean it's we're, we're blessed to have a good population of deer and and uh, a lot of people find success and you know you could look at it you know wisconsin definitely in my opinion manages for and has so for a long time which has created that that strong tradition but they manage for opportunity so there's lots of you know opportunities lots of tags it's not hard to get a tag um but still with that i mean we got a lot of big deer too so it's not like all the you know the deer are just getting cropped and there's no big deer it's uh it's actually amazing to me the kind of the balance that's still maintained with you know managing for that opportunity and and i wouldn't change it you know i mean i love big bucks as much as the next guy but um i wouldn't i wouldn't trade more big bucks to lose that tradition and, and that opportunity for you know so many people to get out get outside and enjoy it yeah and i agree 100 percent. i mean you talk about anticipation like those deer hunters are just got to be on pins and needles like leading up to that day of like we're going to camp and then you see it every like restaurant every tavern every there's a lot of bars in wisconsin man and after every evening they'd come in from camp and they'd be telling stories like does it get any better than that? Like wearing camo, taking your orange off, putting it down, sitting down and being with your family and your friends and your buddies. And like nothing is better than that. In my opinion, it's just such a cool anticipation and a cool journey, whether you get one or not, you know, hopefully you do have success. And I don't know what the laws are in Wisconsin on deer. If you can kill a doe or a buck with any given tag or what the population of both of those are, but it's just a, it's awesome to see so much support, and so much heritage in a state. And there really was. Like, you see that in other states. You go to Stuttgart, Arkansas. I mean, that's why everybody's like, what's your favorite place to hunt ducks? I'm like, Arkansas. Why? The, I've heard it slow down. Well, it's just like anywhere else. You're going to get them on the, when you're supposed to get them. There's going to be days where you're just like, ugh, we didn't get them today. It doesn't matter how many are in Arkansas. But every cafe, every tavern, every restaurant, every store is full. I mean, you'll see duck boats on the back of a station wagon. You don't even need a pickup truck to get your boat down the road down there. You know what I mean? It's like people are going to find a way to get in the water. You go to oh, a yeah. boat ramp, you go to a public boat ramp in Arkansas, 
I'm, I'm talking like you better you better just mind your business, get in line, don't be trying to. I mean, there's boat races, there's fist fights, there's it's crazy that as serious as people take hunting in a lot of different places and you know different regions of the country. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, and it all it just it all adds to, and every every region is going to be a little bit different, right? And that's the cool thing about being like it's cool for you to come travel to Wisconsin, spend some time with us, get to you know share a duck blind together, but you get to see kind of like that Wisconsin culture and you were at here during a really cool time to, to, you know, catch that window when, when we're on the cusp of gun season and uh, you know, then you, you get to go somewhere else and kind of experience their traditions and how that's going. So. Yeah. And I, I love that about hunting is that it's not done. You don't have to do it the same way as your buddy does it. You don't have to follow suit on anything. You can, there's a lot of ethical and legal means of hunting. And if, if you like to jump shoot ducks and you like to pass shoot ducks and you like to decoy ducks, whatever, if as long as it's legal, you can't say, don't do it. Like I disagree with shooting turkeys with a bow and I'm not afraid to say it. I don't like it. I'm not into it. But that doesn't mean that people don't do it and have success with it. I just think that a turkey was meant to be shot with a shotgun. And I really feel that in my psyche that that's one bird like or, or a goose, too, that should not be shot at with a bow. Now, again, I'm not the hierarchy. I'm not an archery. I'm not even an archery hunter. I'm just saying that, like, why would you want to shoot him with a bow when you could get that shotgun up there? You know, what is your feeling on that, by the way? I can't tell by the expression on your face. You know, I so – I'm probably like you. And then that like hunting, that's the beauty of it. Right. It's like, do you like hunting means something to me. And so that's how I want to pursue things. Or maybe I do things a certain way, but that's not for everybody. And I don't expect that to be for everybody. Right. For sure. So, um, man, when it goes to, to Turkey hunting, I mean, I'd say, like you said, there, there are people that are pros with killing them with the bow. I'm probably not a pro with killing turkeys with the bow. So I, I, and I grew up, you know, for me, traditionally, that's a shotgun bird. So I like to chase them with the shotgun. You still get to call them in close. Um, you don't, you don't have to have a blind to shoot a turkey with the bow, but it probably helps. I don't like to use a blind when I turkey hunt because I like to run and gun and move around and chase them and, you know, go to that ridge. And so I don't want to be in, in some ways, you know, hampered by like, well, I got to have a blind, so I got to be hidden. So I got to stay tight. And I'm not saying that's how you have to kill turkeys with the bow because plenty of people run and gun with the bow so i'm not but um yeah i just like to you know hopefully call them in close and shoot them in the face with a shotgun and have them die and pick them up go eat them that's how i'm thinking that's how i like to do it too mark borman i I, and i and i want to reiterate that this isn't a judging thing do it if it's legal do it i just i just think that it's uh it's it's better to do it this way but that's just my opinion i also i would never pass shoot ducks and geese but again if, if it's legal, just always keep in mind what your shooting system is. Always know what your gun is going to do patterning wise. And if you're going to go shoot a turkey at 60 yards, okay, because you think you can. And if you're going to go shoot at ducks or geese at 60 yards and they fly over you because you think you can just because you have a gun. Just make sure that you keep in mind that one pellet going into that bird is going to make that bird feel like heck for a long time, okay? It ain't going to feel good for that bird to get crippled or to become a little easy feast for a red fox or a skunk or whatever runs him down on the shorelines. Just keep that kind of thing in mind that those shots are tough, okay? Like, if you challenge yourself to hone your skills to get them closer, to kill them dead, dead every time we oh i want things dead and i'm unapologetic about killing animals I, i'm very compassionate towards animals please don't get me wrong but we're hunters they're, this we're killing them to eat them and i don't want to see an animal suffer and sometimes they do sometimes there are cripples but if you're constantly going out with that I- ideology that it's okay to shoot them at 60 70 yards you, you just got to make sure that you understand what you're taking a chance of doing and the repercussions of what could follow with shooting at birds that far it's it's just it's you you wouldn't want that happening to you if you were being chased if you were had a chance to be killed i'm pretty sure that i would be like kill me dead now i don't want to suffer at all so just i'm just saying like keep some of that in mind when you're talking about you know the the ethics of hunting and the compassion for the animals when you are taking the responsibility of pointing a gun at them and shooting them yeah for sure you know and and people have um different abilities right as far as you know how much how much they've practiced they have uh, maybe a different uh gear set you know uh if a person has gone through the process of you know like we'll take turkeys for instance you know like oh i'm shooting a high quality tss uh uh turkey load you know uh, 
and uh, I've uh, I've tested it with uh, this this uh, choke tube and this choke tube and this choke tube, and I know my gun is patterning patterning perfectly, and I know that my pattern at 60 yards is way more or is is extremely capable of being uh, extremely effective and lethal and going to put that bird down quick. And I put a red dot on my shotgun. So I know that I'm going to have a very fine point of aim and I'm not obscuring the bird with my barrel in any way. So I can see the entire uh, bird and I can see exactly where I'm aiming. And maybe I've even gone through the process of getting my ballistic data essentially for that Turkey load in the event I get an opportunity at 60 yards or something like that. I'm confident I can take that shot. You know, if you if you haven't maybe done those things, you know, maybe stick to that 40 and in where, you know, most modern turkey shot shell loads, if you pattern your shotgun, are going to be um, extreme, you know, generally extremely effective. But so I do feel at times somebody, somebody says like, well, you shouldn't do that. You're like, well, wait, I put all this work in on the front end and I've done this and this and this and this. And I know it's incredibly effective and going to be lethal. You know, why not? Like, and I, you know, I, I guess I hate. I hate to put limits on people. I mean, there's going to be some limit, right? But I hate to put limits <laughs> on people without knowing their backstory at the same time. 100%. And that's why it's hard to do it. Like, I'm not a big fan of long-range big game killing. Now, mm-hmm. look, you are proficient at 1,000 yards, and you're hitting iron all the time. I just don't know if I would ever do it, no matter how good I was, because I don't know the validation I'm going to get out of it. Like, I I don't know if I've really hunted that animal up. Um, but I also don't ever want to take a chance of something like that sniper quality stuff, right? That's sniper windage and being able, uh, being a great with math and numbers and, and everything that goes into gravity and the drop of the bullet, the flight of the bullet, the speed of the bullet, the feet per second, the wind, your, your climate, your temperature, Man, there's just like at the other end of that 1,000 yards is an animal that's living his or her best life. And I don't know, like I can, I could never sell myself to go get a long-range gun. And sh- like when I see a coyote at 800 yards, I'm like, never. Their vitals are this big, like that big. I'm not going to take a chance. Like I'd rather shotgun them at five feet and hone my skills to get them. Again, both are li- – I think – I mean both are reasonable um, uh, legal forms of hunting. But I don't know like how you feel about that because you're in the optics business and optics is a huge part of long range gunning. And but I just never really got myself into it when a lot of my friends were like we're going up here to Utah or why we're taking these courses, we're gonna do all this stuff. I never really did it because I was always thinking like I would never shoot an animal that far. Yeah, you know, I mean I guess it kind of goes back to even what I was saying before. Like if you've done the work and you're proficient and and you're capable and you're confident in executing that shot. I look at it as something, again, this is me, focus gripper one, whatever. It's like another thing to have in your, your bag of tricks, right? Like you, you've got 12 calls on your duck call lanyard. Like, you know, I consider the ability to uh, extend my effective range within my limits. Like, you know, that's another thing in my bag of tricks. So, you know, I have been on several hunts where, um, you know, hunted hard. It's day five, day six, and you get that opportunity and it it's across a canyon right and that might be five six 650 yards right which you know for me like that's you know within my in my opinion my personal effective range under the right conditions right under the right weather conditions under the right wind conditions under the right you know am i am i proned out right do i have a bipod you know there's a lot of variables at play there but conditions permitting the ability, you know, going through the process of getting my ballistic data, knowing my drop, shooting that gun, knowing that it's a sub MOA gun, um, has led to essentially you're either gonna go home with a deer or not, you know. And I and so I just look at that as like I don't go out with the intent like oh man I'm gonna take a long poke today, but I like being able to extend my effective range within my personal limits. Yeah, it's very well said. And I, and I, and I agree. I mean, I've been on hunts like that where you are looking at a a mule deer of, you know, that it's the one, and this is the only shot that you have. It could be because he's barely coming out of the timber. He's barely becoming out of the quakies. He's, um, 
not showing himself during the day very often. You finally got this opportunity, but you got to think back. Did I practice this? And am I ready for this shot? And with the conditions given what they are right at this moment, am I ready to aim this gun and shoot at that deer? Mm-hmm. If you miss, it's okay. You know, you're going to feel bad about yourself if he runs off and you don't get another shot at him. But if you cripple him and you can't find him, that's where I'm like, oh man, like that's, that's where you got to make sure that you're ready to take that responsibility is all I'm saying. Yeah. You know, I can bring up an example and I guess hopefully I don't get crucified for this. We'll find out Uh, comment below, but uh, I was hunting a moose or we're hunting moose, uh, some buddies and I, and uh, got an opportunity at a bull. I had, I was, I had my rifle, which was like, I would say like I was comfortable with the setup that I had, you know, six and in five and in something like that. And we just, it seems odd that we're hunting moose that you might get these longer shots, but just the terrain and landscape where we were, that's just kind of how, how it laid out. And we spot a bull. He's pretty far away. We close the distance as much as we can. We lay down, we get set up. Uh, we had three big packs, you know, laid the packs out, you know, the grade of the hill was such that, you know, trying to compensate with the packs so we can get, so I can get proned out. I've got the, you know, the dope ballistic data. I know exactly what I need to turn to, to kill this bull. I uh, didn't have a bipod on my gun. Cause I actually initially wasn't expecting the need to, to shoot that far on this hunt and uh, um, get down on the packs and I'm aiming and I've got the bull and, and I mean, I've got, you know, getting ready to break this shot and just the crosshairs are just, they're moving. They weren't even moving a lot. And I would actually venture to guess if I broke the shot, I probably would have killed that bull. Like, I think I think I would have got him, but I wasn't comfortable enough at that range with the degree of just even just slight movement that I'm like, I'm and I wanted to shoot that bull, uh, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't take that shot. And uh, we uh, now I'm getting into story time, but I guess it's just kind of trying to, I guess, no, provide, an, provide an example of like, you know, staying within your limits. Right. So I said to my buddy, I'm like, Hey, and he had a heavier gun. It had a bipod on it. It was a long range gun. Um, I, he'd show me like, I knew how it shot. Right. Like I, I mean, it was, I mean, just tack driver, sub MOA gun. We've been texting, you know, groups back and forth all prior to this hunt. He had it completely dialed. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, if that bull comes out again, can I shoot your gun? He's like, oh yeah, go, go to it. So I actually, I set it up exactly kind of how we had it, you know, laid down and I'm like, you know, felt the trigger a couple of times. I'm like, okay, cool. Got a feel for that. 45 minutes, that bull pops out of the, in the exact, uh, in the, the exact same spot, like uh, just facing the other way. I run over, get down on the gun, dial the dope. And I remember like I got down on the gun and it was rock solid and he was 733. And like, that's where I say, I don't want to get crucified, but it's 733. We had a good range on them, like positive range. I got down on the gun and I went from with the other setup without a bipod, this, that, the other being like, nope, I'm not confident, confident in making that shot. I remember distinctly in my mind because I said it out loud. I go, I can kill him right now. And he's like, kill him. Boom, broke the shot, dropped it right in the pocket. He ran 20 yards, tipped over. Right. And but my confidence, because I was confident making that shot, like I knew I could do it. And we, um, like you weren't going to get the way the landscape laid out. You weren't going to get close. You were either going to shoot that bull from where we shot him, or you were going to try and get over there and probably try and shoot him at five yards because it was that thick. You know, he was just in an open pocket on the hillside. So I guess, I guess the, what I'm trying to convey there is like, know your limits. If you're comfortable and confident and know you can make the shot, you know, do so if you want to. And it, like you said, if it's legal and all those other things, but also don't take unnecessary chances, you know? Yeah. And the last thing I'd say about that on a big game scale is like, Hey, if you're going to apply for that unit or try to draw that tag, if it's a draw system or if it's an over the counter, you got to know like what you just said, this is what the terrain's like. This is what the lay of the land's like. You're, you might be faced with, and I've heard sheep hunters tell me that I knew that I was going to be faced with potentially a 700 yard shot for this desert because of the cliffs and because of the drops and because of how this, this mountain range is, is, is put together. And you can't argue that if you're trained for it and you practice it and you hone that skill set and you're ready for it. Hey, then that's, that's the way it goes. That's, that's hunting. But my point was, and we'll leave this alone was there, there was a time when there was a big game, um, long distance 
deal going on to where people were it wasn't even going out and really hunting it was just going out and finding a target and it wasn't really that target that was that was going to satisfy them or a personal trophy or something that they really wanted it was more about the shot that you should be doing in my opinion at a range and hearing steel go fire off is all i'm saying and and i think that if if you're hunting and you honed your skills and you're a good hunter and you know the lay of the land you're not going to get any closer but you've looked forward to this tag all season you honed your skill set you're ready for it boom now you got moose meat for your family for the next year 18 months so that's 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 a totally different thing than in my opinion mark boardman than just going out and using an a live wild animal as a target because you think you've honed your skills in long range shooting for sure for sure yeah 100 percent. you know and man i'm a big fan if you can get closer whew, i'll get close all day long i'd rather shoot them at you know five feet than 500 heck yeah dude intimacy is everything with wildlife for sure when you when you uh the, going back to our duck hunt as we come full circle now is the I don't know if it could have came together any better and I was just looking at the pictures today of us standing there and we put all the ducks up I want your opinion on this of what social media and the hunting how the hunting you know it's been it's no secret that social media platforms are anti-hunting they don't like to see a lot of the guns, the blood. I mean, I could show you proof of this all the time, just on our platform. But mm-hmm. I know it happens on other ones all the time. Um, in your personal opinion, talk to me a little bit about the stack picture, the trophy picture, the what do you call it? The 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 grab and grin. Oh, or what the do they gr- call them? Grip and grin. Yeah. Grip and grin. The grip and grin. They call that in big in big game hunting. In your personal opinion. Is this demoralizing an animal? And, I, and I'm bringing this up because I saw this certain hunter during the Safari Club International Convention in Vegas in, in February or January, January, February, January, um, said that you should never smile when taking a picture with your dead animal that you harvested that day. And I looked and I went, I don't agree with you one bit. I, I said, I probably said something under my breath that was a little bit more harsh than that because I couldn't <laughs> believe I was hearing it. Um, but I'm asking your opinion. Like I heard this, this is no, this is out there. It's okay to smile with a trophy buck and with your kid and his first dove. And it's okay to smile. Right, Mark? Uh, I would say unequivocally in my opinion, 100% yes. If, if, if I've done something where I'm doing my absolute most favorite thing that I could be doing in the world with people who I like, who I care about, something I've worked hard for and everything works out perfectly and it all comes together. If I'm not smiling, I think there's a problem. And, and, I, and I guess I'll comment in reverse to what this gentleman said. You know, you will see pictures, you know, person, you know, they got, you know, just, you know, big buck or whatever. And, you know, and they're just like, you know, they're looking like they're mad. I'm like, oh, are you, are you, are you mad that you shot that deer? You know, and in my opinion, it's almost like the reverse of not respecting the animal. Like you're trying to portray yourself as some sort of, you know, tough guy versus like, Hey man, this is like, was this amazingly awesome experience that I was super, super fortunate to have the opportunity to be a part of. I don't know. Like, I think if you're not smiling, there's a problem. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I just was like, I don't, I, I didn't understand any of the validation behind it. I don't think there is any validity behind it, but I was just like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to get in an argument, but I just wanted to kind of understand your point of view on when I, when, when we, go out and hone our skill set, okay? And we're say that we're hunting for food. And these ducks do it and they cooperate with us and they give us this chance. Like it's unbelievable that ducks cooperate and do this for us. Then we take the time to stack them up dead. Make sure we clean the blood off as much as we can. I ask myself like is that going too far? And then when I go through my photo albums of when I was a kid, and my antelopes and my deer and everything that I was doing hunting with my dad, I'm so thankful that he took the time to set those pictures up and to do them right and not just half-ass it. I'm so glad that we took the time to put that picture together, me and you. I'm going to be talking about that Wisconsin hunt 
for the rest of my life. And I have that picture to look back in my photo album, which Mark, I have been printing out 500 photos per week off of my iPhone for the last, I don't know, 10 years um, that, that's been on there. So I've been printing off 500 a week and putting them in leather bound photo albums. And I'm telling you, there's nothing better in the world than to put your hands on these pictures because we never look at the pictures on our phone the way that they're intended to be looked at. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it's the best thing I've ever done. I was just doing some of it today. I was going through going, all right, we need this many horizontal. We need this many vertical, da-da-da-da-da. But to see that picture in Wisconsin, I'm like, man, that was a freaking great day. Right. A I mean, great just, freaking day. It brings you back, you know, and I mean, I, I don't know. I think a, a good old-fashioned grip and grin, you know, I, I mean, that's just tradition. That's just that's as much of hunting tradition as anything. And I think you are respecting the animal. I, I think if you didn't care about – capturing that moment uh would be almost you know di disrespectful to the animal and, and i love you know tastefully done artful um pictures that uh capture the essence of the hunt where you are capturing you know maybe those more candid moments or a smile or or you know uh you know maybe a, a look of admiration towards that animal that you've taken like i am all for those i love those i take those i try to capture those moments whenever i can but I can also appreciate a good old fashioned grip and grin at the same time. And I can look at that picture of you and I, Chad, and that pile of ducks. And I look at that and I, but what I remember is sitting in the blind, the way all those ducks came in and, and those other elements of the fun of the hunt. And that picture is just the tool that brings me back to that place. hundred percent. And in a day and age of what we call woke, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, because there are hunters and shooters that aren't, don't have the same political beliefs I do and that you do me and you might not even agree, but you know what? We don't even talk about it because Sammy Kershaw taught us. You don't talk about politics, religion, and her Mark, go listen to that song when we're done here, <laughs> politics, religion, and her. Um, but in a, in a, in a community or a society or a time of the, of the wokeness, we can't, we can't get that way with hunting. We can't start canceling tradition because there's nothing more traditional than hunting. Nothing in the history of our world. This is how we started as nomads, okay? This is the most traditional thing that we have in society. We, we cannot start fighting against each other. We have to stop the inner fighting that's already going on. And we have to understand that it's okay to take a picture with your dead animal and have a smile on your face. I take a lot of pictures with my buddies, just us with no animals in it to, to remember where we were. Mm -hmm. But I don't want it to ever get to the point to where, and I hope people understand that I'm not sitting here on a soapbox. I'm just saying like, we don't want to fight against each other and try to have this woke happen in hunting to where people are going to try to have something that is so special to us and our kids and our fathers and our grandfathers and the trailblazers and pioneers that came before us. We don't want to cancel this stuff. I don't understand why it's even a question. And when I heard that, I was like, why are you trying to make it sound like hunters are bad because they smile with their it's whether you consider it a trophy or not what do you consider a trophy pope and young boone and crockett safari club i don't know what you consider trophy but if it's your personal preference to have memories of that picture why would somebody stand up on a soapbox and say don't take pictures i guess it's the same as me saying don't kill turkeys with a bow it's your opinion to do it but if it's legal and you can have fun, hunting is supposed to be fun. If it's not fun, then why are we doing it? It's not, it's not like we're starving to death. Hey, listen, if you don't kill that deer, you know you can still go to Wendy's. Otherwise, right. I mean, trust me, I'd rather have a venison tenderloin or backstrap, back but I'm not that stressed out. And I don't think hunters should ever claim to be that stressed out in our society as easy it is to get food delivered to our front door on a drone right now, okay? It's not like we're starving to death out there. We do hunt for food, don't get me wrong. But there's a lot more that goes into it. I'm unapologetic about the trigger pull. I do want to eat my the animals that I kill, pursue and kill, but I also want to have fun doing it. And I want to create memories and stories, Mark Borman. Man, I love it. And I, I think that's super well said. And, and, you know, it's like, I think some people may, again, now I'm projecting or whatever, but misinterpret what that smile means, right? It doesn't, it, it's not, in my opinion, it's not disrespectful towards the animal. It's not that I'm taking great joy in the act of removing the life from that animal, right? Like, um, but he said, I don't apologize for it, but nope. I, re I certainly recognize the gravity of what's transpired because it is a big deal. 
right? But I also recognize that as a human being, um, you know, I'm, I'm at least the way I view humans, I'm part of the landscape just like anything else. I have needs to continue my survival. Like you said, I've got options too. I can go to the grocery store, but, yep. but when I can, I combine, you know, what I enjoy and the opportunity to procure my food in that manner. And I can tell you this, when I'm eating a, a duck that we killed on that hunt or the antelope steaks that I've got thawing in my refrigerator right now, those same things bring me back to those extremely important, impactful moments in my life too. And they have a lot more meaning than that Wendy's burger. However, they are delicious. <laughs> Ooh, look at that. A little Wendy's endorsement by Mark Boardman. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get sponsored. Let's get sponsored. I don't know if I've eaten Wendy's in a long time. I don't know if I have. Have you? I have. What is your, what is your, do you, I don't eat a lot of fast food, but a lot of the go-to out here now is Chick-fil-A. And then we have In-N-Out Burger out here. I would say for, for us around here, and I try to limit it uh, as much as possible, uh, but uh, Culver's is that, that's kind of the big one in, in our are, region here. Are they known for their burgers and their ice cream or their? Uh, yeah. Yep. Is it ice cream? It's custard, I believe. Custard. If we're going to be uh, technical. Yep. But I would call it ice cream. Yes. See, like my my go to up there, if I was going to spoil myself, would be fried walleye every day, mm. every day. It's one of the best foods in the world. Fried I don't walleye. think I don't think I love fish, man. I mean, I could I could eat out of the ocean or the lakes every day of the week. If you, if, if you told me I could um, actually no, because I love red meat. Maybe I'm a meat eater. I don't know. Whatever. Um, but uh, you could eat that seven days a week, not get tired of it. Oh no, sushi and, and fried walleye. I'm I'm in a hundred percent. You're making me hungry, Chad. I might have to dive into that cookbook and make something tonight. Now, do it, do it. Please do. Send me videos of it if you do it. That's Mark Boardman, Vortex. Hey, what's going on in Vortex? We got new product that we're going to be looking forward to this fall. I don't know. That depends. When's this podcast launching? Oh, that podcast will launch in the next week or two weeks. You can't I, say anything. I would say keep your eyes peeled it might time out very nicely but yeah we got some good things coming down the pike here shortly uh that if you do hunt yeah i'd say keep your eyes peeled so uh yeah some some fun stuff coming up but like we talked about you know we're on the cusp of turkey season almost that same vibe of hunting season almost but uh or i was gonna say deer season but yeah man people are getting ready to rock and roll turkey season starting and It'll be fall before we know it, right? Lots of oh. cool stuff on the product development side. We got you know folks here that are into the competitive shooting, you know, long range multi gun. Man, their seasons are starting to ramp up here as the weather improves in a lot of areas. And uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's all good things. Well, I love it. I can't wait to see it. If you get a wild hair up, you know what? Text me something that might get me fired up and keep me awake tonight of something new coming out. I appreciate you, brother. Mark Borman, Vortex Optics, the official optic of the foul life and the provider. Lots of good things to come with this partnership. Let's get together again this fall. Thank you for being on the podcast right here at the foul life, my man. Awesome. Nope. Thanks, Chad. Nope. Lock it in, man. Let's get together and share another hunt. And all the awesome memories. Thanks for having me on and letting me, uh, you know, ramble on about Vortex and other things. And it's just, it's always a pleasure, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate everything you guys do. Let's do part two pretty soon and talk about our experience up at HQ. And I cannot wait for the Foul Life users coming up on season 14, Mark Borman. <laughs> season 14 of the Foul Life. We're going to be, uh, the, these two uh, Jacks right here, Jack, are these, um, is your mic on? No, are these no. podcasts from, or are these uh, Foul Life episodes from... Wisconsin going to be awesome? Hell yeah, they are. He's fired up. He's <laughs> editing them right now. He's literally right in the middle of them right now. I like that so, enthusiasm. Uh, I'll send them to you when they're done and uh, make sure that you see what's going on with them. Awesome, man. Nope, appreciate it. Appreciate everything. Thanks to everybody for listening. I'm going to try to think of a song. I've been watching you. What's a, a better song for binoculars? Mm, can you help me come up with one? I'm, I, I can't believe my mind's not working right now. I'm going to have to sit on this one for a minute. I'll be what? Do you know any? Jack, help me out. I don't know. Off the top of my head. Oh, my gosh. You got a little, a little Tupac, all eyes on me. Oh, that's too cussing, though, for this Yeah, podcast. we can't. Oh, you're going to play it. No, yeah, that'd be a bad I'm choice. I'm going to go out with it. I'm going to go out with it. I'm going to end this podcast with a song about, oh, look at the Google master over here just cheated. Um, uh. 
No, I don't. I can't even think of one. Give me one, Jack. Is there one on there? Uh, Gosh, Mark Borman. I mean, I'm, are we serious right now? With, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know a lot of music. Don't you're the music guy. I was gonna say, man, I'm 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 drawing a blank. But you're the you know more music artists than anybody I know. Um, how about "I Can See the Rain" by Creedence Clearwater Revival? Oh, that's That'll it. Do. That's That'll it. Do. We're going out with some CCR. I can see the rain because in Vortex. You can see the rain. Just look through it. <laughs> Just look through it. <laughs> I love Thank you it. all for listening. This is Creedence Clearwater Revival. Who can see the rain? What's the name of the song, please? I don't want to disrespect John Fogarty. I don't have anything. I don't have any Google ambition right now. What is the song called? Uh, how does it go? Who can see the rain? Have You Seen the Rain by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Check out all of our partners on our partners page at thefoullife.com. New episodes airing right now from season 13, third and fourth quarter last year. They're airing again right now on the Outdoor Channel. You can catch those exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. And don't forget to check out theproviderlife.com for all of your dry rub, barbecue, grilling, and our provider cookbook needs. Thank you all so much for your report. Again, this is John Fogarty, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Who Can See the Rain? Is that what you said it was called? Have you seen the rain? I finally got it right. Have you seen the rain? Peace out. Peace out.